Good morning. Thanks so much for being here. I'm Trinity Guerin, and we um, get a chance to kind of celebrate a transition here with Lizzie Edwards. Um, so these are for you. I'm not going to hold these the whole time. Yes. Awesome. Um, Lizzie has been serving as our kids director um, for the last year here um, and is now moving on to be doing full-time ministry with Bridges um, through Crew and loving on international students and sharing... Um, Jesus with them. So we're very excited for that transition, but we want to thank her for her time here. Um, and Lizzie has been such a positive, I feel like Lizzie, you have been um, <laughs> such a positive, um, you always just presume the best in people, which I appreciate. You're up for anything and trying new things. Um, you're very diligent and gets things done like fast, which I love. Um, and you have such a great heart for this body, parents, people, every person, but especially our kiddos. And we are so thankful for the time and the love and the prayer um, that you spent on them. And so Steve is going to pray for you as we kind of launch you into your next, um, into your next year. I gotta wait. Father, we are so used to having to say goodbye, goodbye, that uh, being in a college town, everyone leaves us. And I am so grateful that Lizzie and Eli are staying. I'm grateful that uh, we get to be with them uh, years more, but uh, we're also grateful for the sacrifice she's put in this year. The, the phone call after phone call, trying to fill this classroom or that teacher spot and making sure that our kids have um, real things to learn about, that this isn't babysitting, but that we have an opportunity to help young ones even understand our Lord and, and the care and, and the uh, attention she's given it. Father, thank you for her faithfulness. Thank you for uh, the growth we got to see in her this year being in the office with her. And um, Father, I ask that in uh, the years to come here uh, with Bridges and whatever you'd have her do, um, that you would give her fruit and that you would give her uh, much success with you and that her heart will continue to grow up into you and you do great things through her and through Eli. And um, we're just so grateful. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much, kiddo. <laughs> Thanks. All right. Yes, children, you are dismissed to Kids Church. The word practice, the word, oh my goodness, it's like the Exodus. All right, uh, there's that line in there about Israel waiting on the shore. Seize part, the kids go through. Yeah, okay. Um, the word practice can have two different implications. It can mean like an, an athlete working on something when it's not game time, or it can mean something like a doctor, like a doctor's practice. And consider the difference between the two, by the way. Like I, I had surgery this last year. Can you imagine if we'd use the athlete's version of what the doctor was doing to me? Hey, he was just working on it, seeing if he could get it right. Uh, that's, that, you feel that? I hope there's, so there's like two nervous laughs. But... Um, <laughs> I think a lot of times when people use the word practice in Christianity, we accidentally use the doctor's one when I think we should be using the athlete's one. In other words, oh, you know, as you practice your faith, meaning as you get your faith right, as you do it and apparently do it correctly, as opposed to think about like, uh, I don't know, it's baseball season right now, right? And there's a pitcher who his good pitches are a fastball and a changeup, and he wants to learn to throw a slider. Now, I want you to imagine the same pitcher just rolls out on game day and works on the seam. And, and one of the other pitchers said that, you know, you need to come over and hand it a little bit differently. And so he just decides, batter number one, he's going to try his new pitch that he has not practiced. 
Because, you know, it's game time. I'm going to practice. This would, of course, work crazily, right? That we're hoping, as a matter of fact, if it's any real athlete, by the time they trot out that thing on the field, they have done it over and over and over. They've tried it out. And the beauty of practice, of course, means if they fail, it doesn't really matter. In other words, they, they go to that, that bullpen pitching mound where no one's looking and the other baseball players are out doing their baseball-y things and they, and they try their first slider and it's in the dirt and their second slider's in the dirt and the third one, if there would have been a batter, would have hit them in the head. And eventually they start to hone this pitch in until they know exactly what's gonna happen. The whole point of this train series, and, and last week was Mother's Day and then the two weeks before, we, uh, we've been looking at the idea that Christianity is a, an athlete's practice. It is not a thing that you just go out and do. It is a thing that you practice and become. And we've looked at practice in a couple ways. So just reviewing really, uh, well, really briefly where we've gone. We've been using the Great Commission. This is the last thing that Jesus says in the book of Matthew. And what he does with this passage is, is he, he sort of benights the apostles to go and build his church. As, as you recall, Jesus is uh, he's crucified and he's resurrected and he's about to leave them and ascend to heaven and he's entrusting the church to them. And he says to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. That means he's king over everything and he's looking to make a kingdom of people who are practicing heaven's ways. People, a kingdom of people who are practicing being like, well, like him. So he says, go therefore and make disciples. A disciple is somebody who follows somebody. And so if I wanna be a disciple of some famous person, I'm gonna look and go, oh, that famous person, they have the life I want. Maybe they're rich, and I want to be a disciple of their richness. Maybe, uh, maybe it's how they dress. Uh, you know, uh, was the Steve Jobs, the Apple guy, always wearing the mock. I've, I've been thinking about going Steve Jobs. I'm going to be a disciple of Steve Jobs. I'm going to go black mock turtle. I'm not going to do that. A disciple's somebody who saw somebody who has the life and says, that's the life right there, I want it. And then they copy him and he says, go and make disciples, he's saying of himself, people who will copy the Jesus way uh, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all I've commanded you. That's how they become disciples. And behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age that he's always with us. And all through the series, I've been using this uh, quote that really inspired me, gave me a picture of the kingdom. It's from the famous uh, writer, Eugene Peterson. He passed away, didn't he? Yeah, he did. We lose all the great ones. But the, the beauty of uh, dead authors are more trustworthy than live ones. Haven't you figured that out by now? Like C.S. Lewis, right? Francis Schaeffer, Augustine, St. Paul. They're all dead. Trustworthy writers. Uh, read the dead ones. They're good. And Peterson's dead now, so you're allowed to read him. And uh, he says this. Uh, he, you get all like he said. He's in heaven. That guy's having a party, and we're here. I don't feel bad for him, even sorta. He's having a great time. He lived a good life. But he said, it's taken me a long time with considerable help from wise Christians. See, both dead and alive. He accepts the alive ones too. And uh, come to this understanding of the church, and I've used this, that it is a colony of heaven in this country of death. Think of the death you see around you. Think of the, the ways people are attempting to get life. They've put models in their head of how life could really work and they're trying it out and it's not working. And it's yielding more and more death. And, and this is the country of death. And he says that the kingdom is a strategy of the Holy Spirit for giving witness to the already inaugurated kingdom of God. And that's my dream is that we as Brookside would continually be thinking ourselves more and more as people who athletes practice, not doctors practice, are practicing the kingdom way, practicing to become like our king. 
The first one, this was now three weeks ago, we talked about practicing righteousness, practicing the kingdom way. And I gave you these, uh, these four uh, ways to practice. Set down love of money, train yourself in generosity, to, to train, to, to practice, right? No one starts out being that kind of generous where they could just give and give sacrificially. And if you try, if I set for you sort of a sermon where I'm like, here's how to give sacrificially and every one of you who doesn't is a sinner and Jesus doesn't like you and he looks down from heaven at you like this, you might do it. But you'll probably be doing it externally to try to make the, the group happy with you somehow. That's not what we mean. We want you actually to train in being generous and finding the joy that comes from generosity and wanting to do it more. In the same way, set down love of pleasure. In the athlete sense, this would be set down the sitting on a couch and, and, and eating pork rinds and, and, and watching baseball. Although that's not so bad. But watching others do it and the love of doing nothing and watching others do it. And instead, train yourselves to love well-being. Set down the love of prestige. This is huge. Anytime you're in a group like this, there's this inner voice that begins the monologue that says, why am I not important here? Why, when am I going to, what's my position? How can I, how can, and, and it immediately begins to play because our hearts are looking for an identity. Uh, we used that phrase uh, two weeks ago, salvation through validation. Or and actually, that was last week, the Mother's Day sermon. Salvation through validation, what it does to corrupt our hearts. But when we set down our love of prestige and train ourselves to build up others, we really become alive. And then, Above all, set down every form of unforgiveness and train yourselves in repairing broken relationships. That this, if we were training ourselves to become like this and recognizing where we fail and, and where we threw our, uh, our love of money slider and it was in the dirt and we found ourselves selfish as ever. And instead of going, oh no, what a sinner am I? We would go, oh man, I wanna practice, I wanna practice until I am more and more generous. And instead of... Uh, you know, like a love of prestige. I found myself being all wrapped up in my identity, being like, oh no, what a sinner am I? It's just like, you know, you threw the slider and it. Remember the movie Major League? He's actually got that, um, a, 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 it was like a metal stand of a batter, so he's like throwing against it, but he doesn't have glasses yet, and, and he's like, and he breaks the thing in half. Maybe, maybe you're, you're telling yourself not to love prestige, but you find yourself coveting position deeply again. You're like, oh no, yeah, it's not working out yet. Practice. Practice all the more. Become the sort. Well, then, two weeks ago, we talked about training to use your life to matter to others. And when we talked about that, we began to talk about gaining. It requires endurance. We had Lizzie up here, and, and of course, I'm in the office, and so routinely, she has to deal with the people who started the race. I really want to love these kids. And then two times in, they're like, oh, I don't like this, and, and they quit. And sometimes because it was a bad fit, I get it, but... How often is it really that the negative emotions came and instead of enduring through them to find fruitfulness that something mattered, we let the negative emotions take over. And like an athlete training, so uh, the 5K, anyone see the 5K this week? I saw a bunch of you running, it was really great. I once upon a time could run a whole 5K. And uh, it was amazing to watch because the guy who won it what was it, like 14-something? It was ridiculous. And he came down the street, and he did not even look like he was trying. He was, just like, he was like a robot. It was cyborg coming down the road. And then, and then others of you came by in the 30s. <laughs> but we finish. We train. Right now, I, don't, I really don't think I could finish a 5K because I haven't trained. And the negative feelings, the hurt in my knees, the drowning in my lungs feeling will take over, and I'll quit. 
How often do we begin to try to really love others and matter to others and we quit because endurance is not there? Well, endurance can only be found through working out, right? It's not like, oh, you just don't have endurance. It's, oh, you got to work out. The fact is, I once had endurance. I was a distance runner. I don't now because I haven't worked out. It's not a genetic problem, I promise. It's a, I haven't valued working out problem. <laughs> okay, you get it, right? And then finally, um, practicing doing that with our Father. That our Father says, I want to be with you. We don't do life from Him like, hey God, I did this thing, you owe me. How many of your, par- uh, your parents of your children treated you like that? Would that really endear you to the right? <laughs> you would instantly become resistant. And in the same way, there's the, f- the for God life. I've often told this story, but a number of years ago, I was fixing uh, a guy's brakes and it was in my driveway. And my little two-year-old son, Danny, he's 14 now, but he was two at the time, comes like crawling onto my lap. He wanted to get in there and help. And it was really fun. We had a good time and we finished changing uh, Josh's brakes, whatever. And then, but I want you to imagine, this is the important step, that my son said, oh, dad really seemed to like me changing his tire. And then I look out the next day and there's my little two-year-old son trying to jack up my car so that he can you know, change the brakes because that apparently dad really likes that. Our father wants us with him. It's his great joy. The for God life says, God, apparently you'll be happy with me when I've done something for you. No, he's happy when you're doing it with him. The with God life, the training orientation, the gift giving life, we talked about these things. Well, I want to dive into today because here's the deal. We talked about it. It's the monsoon season is almost over. Apparently it's supposed to rain today. But soon, I promise, the sun will shine regularly. And it's going to be great. And there's this, there's this season in the Bowling Green life where our doors open up and people are outside. And, and we're with people all the time. And it's our dream that we as his, he didn't just say, go be, you know, uh, he said, all, create, uh, all authority has been given to me. Now, go be disciples to all the nations. No, he says, go make disciples of all the nations. How can we be training to make disciples? So I'm picking up a passage. This is from 2 Corinthians. Uh, this is the Apostle Paul writing to the city of Corinth. And he's explaining to them his strategy for reaching out to people. So the we in this case is, is he and, and, the, and the people who are working with him. But check out what he, how he sees the ministry life and what he's beckoning us to join. Uh, it begins with the word for... I hate starting with conjunctions like this because before what? What was going on before? But the whole stinking book's written that way. It's just like this big run-on thought. And so I have to go back to chapter one. So I apologize for picking up in the middle, but we'll pick up at a good spot. For if we're beside ourselves, it's for God. And if we're in our right mind, it's for you. In other words, he's talking about his wanting to reach out to, uh, to people and help them understand Christ. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this. That one has died for all, and therefore all have died, and he died for all. And that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. And so he's not just saying Jesus died for our sin. He's died for our sins so that he can set us to life. And he hasn't just set us to life. He set us to life so that we can join him in living out the kingdom way. This is, because there was a lot of died for this, to that, to that, to the other in there. But he's really saying The kingdom is not just that Jesus died for you so that your sins are forgiven so that you can go for heaven. Which, by the way, that's pretty awesome all by itself. It really is awesome all by itself that Jesus would have died to forgive your sins. That to to as many as received him, he gave them the right to become the sons of God. But there's more to it than that. 
He actually wanted to set you to life so that you can enjoy heaven's way, so that you can be alive, and so that through that life, you can be changing the world. And so moving on, he says this. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Think about how your flesh regards people. It says, how can they help me? What can they do for me? Um, how can I network them? <laughs> Think about the idea of networking people. I'm trying to pull together enough people that I can get what I need from as many people as possible. Now, I don't think networking is necessarily a bad idea, but when we regard people according to the flesh, the question we ask is, how can I get what I need? But he goes on and says this, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, in other words, we looked at him like something that we would just use for ourselves, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away and behold, the new has come. When you hear that first, the, anyone who's in Christ is a new creature. You've been made alive with Christ. You've been forgiven in Christ. You've been given his Holy Spirit. There's so many things that has happened. But notice that the, uh, the, the operational statement in that was that how we see people. The new creation isn't just, oh man, I love being forgiven. It's I now have a way to look at people through heaven's eyes. I no longer see broken people as, ew, I see broken people as, can their love of Christ go there? And I no longer see successful people as people who think they're awesome. I see people who also could use the love of Christ. And I no longer see people who are different than me as different than me, and they might make me lose my place. I see people as different than me as somebody who has the opportunity to be loved by Christ. Every single one of them. What about the sinners? What about the really weird ones? Pick your, pick your political orientation, blue or red. What about the ones who are the other kind? What about the ones who are the other kind? Do you want to see them as unloved by Christ or do you want to join Paul in seeing them according to the Spirit? And if that's the case, moving on, he says this. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled to us. Reconciled means if you have a relationship that's broken, you, you fix it. A king can reconcile an exiled citizen to himself. And of course, you can reconcile your relationships. But I like the king one because we were alienated from God. God, who is king over everything, allowed us to join him in this creation, and he created us for it. And Adam and Eve looked at God and said, you know what? I don't care about your kingship. I will be king over me. I will do what I want. And that's what our, our brokenness does. And, and he says that through Christ, we are brought back to the God who we rebelled against. He reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation and then taught us how we could reconcile others to him. That is, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. And he's going to talk more about it in this next page, so we'll go here. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. And we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For, uh, sorry, my eyes jumped up back to the ambassadors bit. But I'm reading and already thinking about the next thing. That's pathetic. All right. For our sake, he made a, him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of Christ. Once again, the cross does not just forgive us our sins. It makes us the righteousness of Christ so that we can be, what's that word at the top? Ambassadors. Think about what an ambassador does. We have the ambassador of the U.S. to, I don't know, to Myanmar and to end up, England or, or wherever, an ambassador goes and represents their home. They live in another country, but they represent their home country. And from the beginning, the Christians saw themselves as citizens of heaven 
who were living as strangers and aliens in some foreign land like the United States. How many of you guys have ever had a chance to travel overseas? Anyone, right? When you go there, you probably get a chance to realize how deeply American you really are. And sometimes you got to work on it. Like we'd be in places and they'd be like, hey, just so you know, Americans tend to be really loud on the bus. Talk softly. And then you'd catch it. You'd be the Americans on the bus and everyone would be talking like this. And the Americans would be talking. And then, oh my gosh, we're doing it. Uh, I like American food. Made some hamburgers yesterday. They were amazing. My mom cooks English food. English food has been made slightly better by the fact that other people have been imported decent food. But if you have just English food, oh, it's so bad. And when I've had to go to England, because I've got family there, they made terrible food. Because it wasn't American. Where's my fries? Where's my burger? All right. I am very tempted to think of myself as an American who's a Christian. I love a red, white, and blue Jesus if I'm not really careful. But the fact is, I am beckoned by Christ to be a citizen of heaven and heaven alone who is a stranger in this strange land. And I don't need to worry about the kingdom of the United States because I have a kingdom that is the one that is my preoccupation. I'm an ambassador of that one. And the Bible says that he's making his appeal through us. So here's what I want to spend the rest of the time doing. I want to get suddenly very practical. And I'll tell you why. Most of us as Christians know that Christianity well-practiced is going to help people outside the faith see Christ. But then we start to get the models that have been handed to us. Perhaps you've been walking down the street and someone's been holding up a sign yelling at people. <laughs> I don't know, that's the easy one to pick as sort of a, uh, to, to make fun of or whatever. But, and we look and say, what, is that what I have to do? If I want to make a Christian, do I go and maybe put a soapbox out there and just start yelling, hey, sinners, repent, you know? Or, sorry to those who have little ones. <laughs> what is it that I'm going to do? Or maybe I'm just going to go walk up to strangers and say, um, have you been washed in the, in the blood of the lamb? And see if it works. And, and what's going to work? And, and then it gets even more difficult because if it's people I really love and it's relationships I care about, how can I possibly end up talking about Jesus where it feels so outside of our norm? It feels weird. I don't know how to get there. And if I, could, if I could trust that it would work, I probably would, even then it'd be a little scary. But it feels like what will really happen is they'll go, ew, and let's never do that again. And now I'm doubly sure I don't want some Jesus. And I feel like if I try it, I might actually shove him away. So we want to talk today about being just super practical. So I have a list of four thoughts. And uh, we printed 20 articles. We, we did a, a discussion with the staff team in the office for fun. What would we, what would we imagine it could look like? And we kind of wrote up on the board and then... Uh, Amy took the time to pull it together into an article. And so if you want more about what you're about to hear from this spot through to the rest of the sermon, again, we printed 20 of them and we have it online. It's, it's, it's going to be fun. But we want to actually just help you think crazy practically through uh, helping others, through God making his appeal to us. So first thing, just let's talk practical. Number one, uh, being with our Father where he's working. Can I say we always have to start here? In my experience, any time that a Christian says something like, yeah, 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 the God stuff, I know, get on to the practical stuff. What we really mean is the for God life. Some version of, yeah, let's leave God behind. We already did the God thing. Let's get on with the... No, we want to have an inner disposition that says, God, where are you? What are you doing? When we walk into places, 
If we're practicing the with God life, we're going to say, God, what do you see here? Give me your eyes. Remember we said no, for no longer seeing according to the flesh? Well, if I'm going to see according to the spirit, I'm going to have to be with my father who's looking. God, who do you see here? How can I help? How can I move toward people? Show me what you've got. And if you took the time just to pray that prayer, like when you go to the public pool this summer, or maybe you're going to your kid's baseball game at Carter Park, and you're going to be sitting on those aluminum bleachers, or, or maybe you're going to be in the grocery store. Oh, yeah. If we're practicing the with God life, I promise he will be opening doors all the time that you didn't even know were there. Number two, understanding those spaces. So there's this idea that spaces happen more or less intimately, right? So just walking through, we're going to start with third spaces. So third spaces would be the places where they're not your deliberate being there. Here's what I mean. I use the grocery store. I, go, I usually go to Kroger. It's the closest to my house. And I'm going into Kroger, and if I'm not careful, I'm going to be tunnel vision. I've got my list, and I'm going to tunnel vision my way through the store. And I've actually had people say, I saw that person in Kroger, and they didn't even say hi to me. It probably wasn't because they looked at you and said, do I enjoy that person and desire to say hi to them? I don't. I'm going to hope that I don't have to. It's not that at all. They were on a mission. (laughs) Where's the broccoli? Where's the broccoli? I'm never buying the broccoli ever, by the way. Okay, all right. (laughs) It sometimes ends up in my house. I don't know how it got there because it's broccoli. All right, so third spaces, grocery stores, the pool. In other words, you went there to do something, but if you've been practicing the with God life, things will happen there. But there's there's a move in toward the center. This is what we call second spaces. Hey, let's get together for coffee. Uh, I'm cooking out in my backyard and say to my neighbor, hey, you guys want to cook out with us? They're not so intimate as in my home at my dinner table or something like that, but they're spaces that are designed for us to meet. I put book clubs because uh, Sandy has been in a book club with a bunch of friends for a number of years, and it's just people from all about, and, and, and Amy invited her, and Amy's mom did. Was it your mom who started it? Her, her aunt who started it. Yeah. Annette? There you go. It's Annette. And uh, I like Annette. She used to work here at BG. And so notice, this is why it's important. What I just did there. I like Annette. When she worked at BG, through Annette, I also met other people. And because I would see her on campus and say hi to her, because of a book club, you see what it did? It began to connect people together. Second spaces are the, uh, the next move in. But then there's first spaces. First spaces are places like your dinner table. Here. And here's why this space idea is important. Many of us feel like if we're doing good Christianity, it means we've somehow gotten them to hear. But imagine you uh, just got introduced to someone at a baseball game, and you say to them, hey, you want to come to Brookside on Sunday? For many of us, that feels like a gargantuan leap, right? And real practical steps are not always trying to hit the home run of whatever, but actually just saying, hey, I just had a really good time. We should hang out sometime. You want to get coffee? See that move to that second space? That's why this is here. Because the nature of spaces is such that if you're thinking about it and your social sense is saying, this feels like a terrible idea, it's not always right because it also has fear. But pay attention to it because it might be saying, you're just trying too hard. Just care about people. Well, let's talk then about social skills because here's the next one. So that was understanding. So we have being with our Father, really being with our Father. Everywhere we are saying, Father, what do you have here? Understanding the spaces we're in. Choosing life giving versus life taking. This is something that Michael Brown's taught for years. 
And he's got whole acronyms for it. And it's going to break his heart that we're not going to go through a whole acronym today. But uh, oh, you ask him, he'll get you life giver. Loving and being inquisitive and, and all these sorts of things and, and giving life. Thinking of yourself as not walking in, viewing people according to the flesh, saying, how can they give me life? But viewing me according to the spirit, how can I give them life? Excuse me. <coughs> and I have a couple thoughts on life giving, just to say brief. Number one, literally introduce everyone to everyone. This is one of the... I, Crazy place to start. You're thinking, maybe I'm going to think how you see him. But actually, when you say to a person, hey, do you know, do you know, what you are saying to them is I value you enough to bring you into all the social places, I think. And if this person's talking to me and you walk up and I talk to you and then go back to this one, what I'm saying to this person is you're not valuable enough to be here. But it does more. Because you've been working with people and you've got friends that you, you, uh, you work with and friends that you care about and you're in all these different places. And when, when you introduce that person to this person over here or to me or to someone else, you actually allow the greater body of Christ to begin to love them. You are not Jesus in the flesh. You are not someone's all in all. And as you allow them to get to know more and more people, it allows them to connect and to see different things in the community. So number one, Introduce everyone to everyone. Number two, be a question asker. Everyone hates a story topper. We all do it. You know, the, some version of they just told their story. Oh, that's nothing. Let me tell the time when I did it and it was better and more. I'm not particularly good at this stuff. I have to work at this stuff. I was never very socially acutive. So anywhere where I've learned to be social, I've had to learn it the hard way. Some people are supernaturally good at it or just naturally super good at it, I don't know, whichever. I have been terrible in my life at wanting to tell about me. And, it's, and I have to tell myself, ask questions, ask questions, care about them, care about them. Because when you ask questions, there's a part of your heart going, but I want to be seen, but I want to be understood, but I want to be known. And if we allow that part to just reign, we'll live according to the flesh, and the flesh will push people away. Number three here, make people feel awesome about themselves. Here's another lesson I have had to learn the hard way. Because, I, you know, when I see someone with a Michigan shirt on and I'm from Ohio, and being from the state of Ohio, I root for teams from Ohio. And so, when, especially being from Cleveland and someone wearing a Michigan shirt, it was just their way of saying, I want to be a contrarian. And... Uh, and back in the 90s, of course, we were losing to Michigan all the time. We, me and the Buckeyes, were losing to Michigan all the time. And so I felt this need to tear down the, oh, you're a Michigan fan, you know. And then one day, there was a man on our staff team. We were working with a crew named Jeff Zapor who went to Michigan. And, and Jeff was one of those guys who you weren't positive actually sinned. <laughs> you just weren't sure if it actually happened. He was so kind, such a good guy. And we watched the Ohio State-Michigan game together. And just being in his presence, it made me realize what a jerk I wanted to be. But I could, you couldn't do it to Jeff. If you knew Jeff, you just couldn't. He was so kind. And it made me change my character. But it also made me get, begin to examine, why don't I let my Michigan fan love being a Michigan fan? And then things have changed. They need a lot of love now. Okay, but... Uh, you see how that works? But I would tear it down. If you, were from, if you were from Kentucky, I had a joke about it or whatever because I love Ohio. You see all these things? And instead, I had to learn. I had to teach myself to stop being that guy. 
Build people up. When you make people feel awesome about themselves, they can't get enough of you. Number four, learn the art of spiritual conversation. This one's tough, so much so that it's going to be its own sermon. How do you get to talk about Jesus? How do you get to be in those places where you're talking about the real stuff and instead of feeling like you're forcing it down someone's throat, they're like, this is awesome. I got to talk about deep things and it was fun instead of horrible. People actually like to talk about deep things. The reason they don't is because of how poorly it often goes. We want to talk about that. We'll pick that up soon. The Art of Spiritual Conversations. Let's pull those together. So we've got being with our Father. It always starts there. You cannot omit that. Understanding the places that I'm at and how to help people move forward. Choosing to be a life giver instead of a life taker in those situations. And then finally this, the art of the invite. Invite people forward. So back to those spaces. Everywhere you go, have the question in your mind, can I invite them to something? Not just can I invite them to church or to something going on, but can I invite them to have coffee? If, if I just was sitting at Jack's baseball game and, and, and hanging out with people and really liking them and, and we happen to strike up a conversation and we're talking about coffee and how much we both like coffee, I can say, my friend Ben Vollmer owns a really great coffee shop. Have you tried Flatlands? We should, let's get coffee at Flatlands. <coughs> you see how I did that? We should get coffee together. You should always have in your heart, if you've been looking at people according to the Spirit, saying, what can I invite them to? But I want to challenge you to invite people to your table. So few of us get to eat. And, and if you've been to other cultures, this is for those of you who've been overseas, the, the art of getting people to your table is something that other cultures practice all the time. When I was in Turkey, all the time people made me sit down and eat with them. And sometimes they didn't make food I wanted. And then I had to be very careful to be a life giver and eat horrible food because, you know, it wasn't a hamburger. And uh, whatever. But seriously, like a fish with his eye still looking at you on the plate and stuff. That stuff's challenging to me, right? So the point is, they would invite and invite. And I felt so ashamed because we are so bad at inviting. And I know that you might feel uh, a little intimidated by that. What if my house isn't nice enough? And... Maybe your, your place would be a very difficult place for someone to be, and maybe we could be honest about that. But the fact is, 90% of the time, it's not that. It's that our pride says, I don't want to risk it. But when you have the courage to invite people to yourself, they really do get the opportunity to change. They get the opportunity to be loved and known. Which brings us to this. This is the three barbecue challenge. This is Amy's idea, and I made a logo out of it. This is my attempt to get hired by Syph at Madhouse. It's probably, probably pretty good. We should get you guys get a shot. All right, here we go. Monsoon season is almost over, and we are dreaming that as a people, we would be sitting down and being with people this summer. And so it's a real simple challenge. And with no legalism, no one's going to take away your Brookside card if you do a poor job at this. Your Brookside card? Is that a thing? Okay, uh, that's not the point. We aren't the people who, who shame each other into being the right people. But I do want to give you a challenge because I really want you to dream forward what it can look like that this summer, three times, you would have people to dinner. This comes from, uh, there's a church in Columbus that they're, um, they w wanted to teach people how to evangelize and their first thing is barbecue first. <laughs> that was their thing, barbecue first. And so that's where this came from. Barbecue first. Or dinner, if you don't know how to, Start your grill. 
Looking at you, Christy. Yeah, thank you. Uh, <laughs> nice, there you go. Okay. Uh, <laughs> cook, be together, have people to your table. And here's, here's the rules of it. Number one, the first one, I would like you to do it with people here. Because we're at College Town, people come and go from a church like ours pretty quickly. Which means if you've been coming for a little bit, you might have this belief that 90% of the people here have been going to church together for the last 20 years and you're the noob. There's actually a lot of you. There's a lot of you who are joining together and you might be looking at that person going, ah, oh, they've probably been here for years. There's a good chance they haven't. We would love for you to invite someone to be at your table. Come to dinner with us. Get to know people. A, it's a lot a lot less intense than inviting somebody who, who might not have had this challenge. But moreover, we want this church to get together. Then the other two barbecues, here's what we want to challenge you to do. Ask some friend from beyond the shores of the Christian faith who you just care about to come to dinner and invite somebody else with them. Introduce everyone to everyone, right? Just that simple. That we as a church this summer would be praying and dreaming and asking God, can you help us show Jesus to people who don't know him? That's our dream. But we want to do it in a way that loves them and cares about them and doesn't use them because we do not see people according to the flesh, we see them according to the spirit. Ben, you guys can come up. Sorry. Well, I ran a little over, I apologize. But in all of this, our dream is to challenge you to train. And even as we've talked about training, we've talked about joining those discipleship groups. And some of you have asked about it. If you have not heard enough about it, please come talk to me. It's going to be, the groups get together once every other month. And then there's a smaller group that you'll get together with once a month. So three meetings every two months. A small amount of reading. But we really want to get to be together training as a church. And because enough people have said, yes, we're very excited about this. We're going to be able to split it into two groups. Which here's what that offers us the opportunity to do. We'll spread it across two weekends. So you, if you can't make this Saturday morning group, well, the next weekend, on, it'll probably be Sunday evening because some people have to work every Saturday morning. So we'll have two different time slots on two different weekends. Maybe you can make this group or that group. So if time, if, if the schedule was the thing keeping you away, we're now hopefully able to open it up so that can help you engage. We dream that you'll be able to train with us to be disciples of the kingdom because that's what this is about. Father, thank you for the reminder this morning that you love me. Thank you for the reminder this morning, Father, that you love us and that you are in us and that you are for us and that you are with us. Father, that we get to do this thing called the Christian life with you every step of the way. And I pray that we would not keep message or this life a secret within these walls, but that we would share with everyone we know across our community and in these spaces and these places that we belong and Father, that we would truly be the salt of the earth and the light on a hill. Father, that as we are filled with your Holy Spirit, cups would not be empty, but we would pour out to everyone around us with a heart that is pure and holy and other-centered, that we would be life givers, as Steve talked about. Father, that is your passion, and I pray that that would become our devotion to you and to this call.
great passionate love for us that we would feel empowered and inspired to go forth and do and to speak and to love. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the reminder and thank you that you love us so deeply and that we belong with you. It is a privilege to be a part of your family, Father, and we worship you today and we acknowledge are full of gratitude. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the life that we have. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Well, again, Brookside, thank you for being with us today. And for those of you who are visiting and our guests with us, just one quick announcement as we go from here. Uh, rumor has it there's a special ladies' night at the Seiferts on Tuesday, May 28th from 7 to 9 p.m. So make sure if you are a lady here or you know of ladies, feel free to uh, be a part of this experience at the Seiferts home, and there'll be more Excuse information. Me, Michael, um, what, if, what if I'm over 40? Aaron, great question. <laughs> if you're over 40, you're still incredibly, incredibly young. And you are more than welcome to attend the Seifert uh, women's gathering over the Seifert's house, the fireside chat. So okay. great question. Thank you for the interruption and the um, clarification. Wait, one more. What if, what if I'm a college student? For sure. If you are a college student, you're also a lady and you are welcome <laughs> to be a part of that. Okay. Thank you. So probably from the teenage oh, wait, years. I'm sorry. One more, one yes. more thing. What, what if I'm in high school? High school uh, women, yes. High school girls, women, yes, are also invited, as well as college, and all the way into the very, very oldest of 90 and 100 years old, right? Does that answer all your questions, Aaron? Yeah, I'm done okay. now. Thank you. May 28th, Tuesday evening, the Seifert's house, 7 to 9 p.m. So even in light of what Steve shared today as well, make sure you get to know folks maybe here in this space that you don't know and not just hang out with your friends. That would be awesome. We'll see you next Sunday morning.